So what do you expect to hear on a communion Sunday morning? A couple of weeks ago, I don't remember who was preaching or what the occasion was, but something struck me and I wrote it down and that's what I'm planning to use this morning. Um, not going to look specifically at the suffering and death of Christ. But we are going to look at what Christ has done for us and what he is doing for us and what he wants to do for us. Maybe I got them backwards. And maybe that goes down some things that I thought about. You know, some of these things, what's the cart and what's the horse? Um, and I got to thinking a little bit, you know, it used to be things were pulled by a horse. And then... When cars came around, they were pushed along. They were driven by the back wheels. Now they're pulled along by the front wheels, most of them. Um, so if you think, well, I should have spoken to this thing first and this thing second, just keep in mind you can't have one without the other. And so I'm not sure if I've always got the, the horse in front of the cart and what I'm going to share with you this morning, but uh, they both go together. One of the songs we sang, and it sort of fits with what's written up here. Verse 3 of the number 42 in the church hymnal says, For the love of God is broader than what you can think. Then the measure of man's mind is the way the songwriter wrote it. For the love of God is broader than the measure of man's mind. And then we sang in singing the song of Jesus saves by his death and endless life. Christ died, he rose again. Never to die again. And I'll give you the title, and that will tell you where this comes from. The title is The Preeminent One. Turn to Colossians chapter 1. And I don't, I don't think very well when it comes to what has happened in the past. Probably some preacher has preached on Colossians not very long ago, but I can't, don't have any idea uh, who it might have been or when it was or what they said. And so if I repeat something you heard, uh, I guess you'll have to blame it on my inability to process some of those things. I want to look at Colossians 1 and part of Colossians 2. And pick out a few things, and then I want to go back and read it. But as we go through these verses, I want you to notice how many times the word that is all-inclusive is used. Uh, we'll just go down through here just a little bit. In verse 3, it says, always, praying always. Verse 4, the love which we have to all the saints. Verse 6, uh, 
as it is in all the world. But then more specifically, when it gets down to talking about Christ and our access to him, verse 9, he says, I want you to be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom. Verse 10, unto all pleasing, to every good work. And then you see a little bit of the, the, the problem of the, the word all as it relates to human life because you have all, and then the last part of verse 10 says increasing. So you have it all, but yet there's an increasing after you have it all. Uh, verse 11, strengthened with all might unto all patience. And then you get down into verse 16, I'm sorry, verse 15. He's the firstborn of every creature. By him were all things. All things in verse 16 were created by him. Verse 17, he is before all things. By him all things consist. He's the head. He's the beginning. He's the firstborn. That in all things, verse 19, in him should all fullness dwell. Verse 20, all things. Verse 23, this word was preached to every creature. So you, you get the point. We'll, I want you to specifically notice that as we read through it uh, toward the end. In the beginning of Colossians, we have, like Paul does, his greeting. Um, and one thing I noticed, you, you see something that people today would call gossip. Paul writes to the Colossians about what he heard from others, Okay? Now, he writes specifically about the good. Paul wasn't there. He heard from, and I'm not sure. I, I grew up calling him Epaphras, but I think it's what, Epaphras? Is that the correct pronunciation? So he heard from him about what was taking place in Colossae. You read that in Ephesus too. So Paul wrote what we're going to focus on this morning is on the positives, but you get down into it. He says, you know, uh, he, he puts out the warnings based on what he heard. Uh, by the way, I don't look at it as gossip, okay? Uh, verse 3, he says, we give thanks to God always for you, praying always for you. Verse 4, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. He didn't see it firsthand. He heard about it. And of the love which you have to all the saints. That hope that is laid up in heaven for you. He hears about the fruit. He wants it to bring forth fruit in verse 6. As it does in you. 
Then you hear that, have that word there again, since the day ye heard of it. They heard. And now Paul is hearing about what they're doing with what they heard. As ye also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ, who also declared unto us your love of the Spirit. So there you have Epaphras passing that word on to Christ. The next aspect I want to look at, and this relates to what we're talking about or what we are observing this morning, our our, um, relationship to Christ because of what Christ has done for us. The heading I have down here is walk worthy of your calling. That comes specifically from a verse, verse 10, that she might walk worthy of of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Verse 12, giving thanks unto the Father which has made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. The only way you and I are meet or suitable to partake of that is because of the blood of Christ. Verse 13 and 14, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. He's conveyed us into that kingdom in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. We have that forgiveness of sins through the blood of Christ. That's what we're called to. We're to walk worthy of what he has called us to. I want to go back and read Ephesians chapter 2, and this goes right along with that, talking about that calling, and Ephesians 2 is talking about our relationship as Gentiles to Christ because, or to God because of Christ and what he has done for us. Ephesians 2, you hath he quickened or made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, I'm going to stop just a little bit. I forgot one verse that I wanted to refer to here in uh, Colossians 2.6. And I just used a word that I had pretty much determined I wasn't going to use again. I said I'm going to back up. I'll explain to you why I said that. You all know Raymond Shank or some of you remember Raymond Shank, a dear brother that's gone on to be with the Lord. But when Sue Shank, his nephew's wife, passed away, Jerry said something to me that made me determine I wasn't going to use this term backup. Because he said that Raymond Shank said he needs to get a backup beeper for JP because he misses something. He says he's going to back up and get it. And so... So, uh, not that intending it to be amusing, but I just realized that I said, use the term back up. And I'm trying not to use that. I'm trying to stick closer to what I have down so I don't need to remember that. But chapter 2 of Colossians and verse 6 is the one I wanted to pick up in relation to walking worthy of the calling. 
Chapter 2, verse 6 says, As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. Walk worthy of what you've received of Christ. Now, going back and continuing in chapter 2 of Ephesians, I'll just start over. You hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Every last one of us here this morning fit that category, did fit that category. Verse 4, But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together. He's made us alive with Christ. By grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. I'm going to stop there just a little bit. We don't work for our salvation, but because of our salvation, we work. We walk. We are his workmanship. We've been called to something. We've been created, recreated in Christ unto good works, to do that which is right and good, that which we are to walk after, that we should walk in them. Verse 11, Wherefore, remember that ye, being in time past, Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands. <clears throat> by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace, to you which were afar off, and to them that are nigh, that were nigh. For through him we both have access by one Spirit unto the Father. And therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. 
You've been called to something. God calls us to walk worthy of that calling. He's broken down that wall of partition between the Jew and the Gentiles and opened it up for us through his death on the cross. Verse 16, that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. God has called us to this. Going back to Colossians again. And looking down just a little further in chapter 1, verse 20, having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, and you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death, to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. Now, you know, as I went through this, I realized that the further I went, the deeper I got, and the more I wasn't going to get said. And so I hope this just whets your appetite for for what all is in here. And um, I won't go on from here, but just recognize that that little word if in the next verse carries a lot of significance in all this. He's called us and he's going to present us through his death holy, unblameable, and unreprovable in his sight if we do certain things. Going over to chapter 2, verse 13. And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened. He's made you alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances with us that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross, and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of this openly, triumphing over them in it. Christ, in shedding his blood, broke down walls to bring us to him. Walk worthy of that calling. Now we'll look a little bit at the preeminent one. Of chapter 1 of Colossians and verse 15. Talking about Christ. He's the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn of every creature. He is before all things. By him all things consist. Verse 17. Everything was created by him. That's in heaven or in earth. Things we can see. The things we can't see. Thrones, dominions, principalities, powers, everything was created by him. That in and of itself gives him that preeminence. But it goes even farther than that. Verse 18, he is the head of the body of the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things 
he might have the preeminence. Everything. But you notice he's the firstborn from the dead. That gives him the preeminence even over death that is eternal. So in his rising from the dead, he is now preeminent over all things. And we want to look at that just a little bit closer. Drop down to chapter 2 and verse 9. In him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit dwell bodily in Christ Jesus. And ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. Drop down to verse 15. Having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. He is the preeminent one. He is that by creation, and he is that through his resurrection. And I might get a little lost in some of these things. I wrote down some things that the commentator said about this. In your center reference that uh, where is it? Verse 18, in all things he might have the preeminence. And the center reference says among all things. So which is which? Someone said this, the Greek bears either to be correct. If it's uh, that in all things, it means that he is the head of all things, the universe and everything else. If it's the latter, he is chief among all things in that he rose from the dead. Each of these is true, but the scope of the passage seems rather to require us to understand this of everything and to mean that all the arrangements respecting him were such as to give him supremacy over the universe. That he might have the preeminence, be the first, the first in rank, the first in dignity, the first in honor, the first in power, and you can just keep on going. He's the first. You know, you have people today that are pretty good at what they do. I've got news for you. You're not the best. Christ is preeminent over everything. Yes, even over President Trump or whoever else you want to put in there. He is preeminent. First of all, because he made them. Secondly, because he redeemed them. Thirdly, because he rose again. Going back to reading here a little. He is over the universe because he formed it. He's the creator and the proprietor. He is chief among those who shall rise from the dead since he rose first to die no more. And their resurrection, your resurrection, depends on that. On Christ rising from the dead. He's the head of the church. 
Any councils or governments of the church are subject to him. Another commentator said it this way, he is the head of the body, he is the head of the church, the author, the dispenser of light, life, and salvation. From him, the one in whom the fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily, all the mercy and salvation of the gospel is to be received. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. He's called the first fruits in 1 Corinthians 15. He's the chief and firstborn from the dead. He is first, the first that ever resumed natural life with the employment of all its functions, never more to enter the empire of death after having died a natural death and in such circumstances as precluded the possibility of deception. In other words, there's plenty of evidence that proves that Christ is rose again and because he rose again, then he becomes the first fruits of them that slept. We have the promise of coming back to life again if we die before he comes back. He is the chief head, or first. He's the only, he's not, the, he's not only the first who rose from the dead. He is not only the first who rose from the dead to die no more, but he is the first fruits of human beings. As surely as the first fruits were an indication and pledge of the harvest, so surely was the resurrection of Christ the proof that all mankind should have a resurrection from the dead. Christ rose from death, that death, that was necessary for you and I to be his children, but he rose from the dead and is the first fruits. And that because of that, he has the preeminence in all, in all things. You can say it however you want to pretty much and you won't cover it from a human standpoint. I don't, uh, I don't dig into words very much, probably like a, I probably should. Um, but in this, 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 these two words might have the preeminence. I did a little looking on that one. Um, and there's, a, there's just a long list of things in that might have the preeminence that it's a little hard for me to, uh, to pull out of it. Um, but it just, it just boggled my mind beyond the, the mind of man at what all it means to might have the preeminence. He brought to pass these things so that he might have the preeminence. Getting down to verse 19... For it pleased him, pleased the Father, that in him, in Christ, should all fullness dwell. So what can we have above being full? And I was intrigued by that word fullness.
Subjective or objective? It is what feels and it is what is filled. It is the contents and he is the container. Christ, God was pleased to have all fullness dwell in him. The content and the container. Think about that a little bit. I'm not sure I've totally uh, grasped it all. He is what feels and what is filled. That which is put in to fill up. The piece that is filled up. The fulfilling, the full, the fullness. It pleased God to have all fullness dwell in Christ. This morning, we look back at what Christ did for us on the cross. But if that's where it stopped, then we wouldn't have eternity to look forward to. But because of that resurrection, we have eternity to look forward to because Christ is the first fruits of them that slept. He wasn't the first one that came back to life, but he's the first one that came back to life to never die again. I want to read Colossians 1 and part of chapter 2 in closing. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Timotheus, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which ye have to all the saints, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven whereof ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which is come to you as it is in all the world, and bringeth forth fruit as it doth also in you, since the day ye heard of it, and knew the grace of God in truth. As ye also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ, who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. For this cause... We also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, Visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. I'm going to stop there just a little bit because I missed one concept when I was going through there. 
Everything that Christ did for us was for him. You notice that there in the end of verse 16? By him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. Verse 17, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell, and having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, and you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present to you to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight, if ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up that which is behind in the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church, whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Even the mystery which hath been hidden which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. I'm going to stop there just a moment before we go to chapter 2. Verse 29, Paul talks about laboring and striving according to his working, or that which works in him mightily. And here again was one of those words that I wasn't quite prepared for. His working, his energy is basically what that words mean. Christ's energy working through the Apostle Paul, working mightily in the Apostle Paul for the people that he was reaching out to. Are we using Christ's energy in our efforts as we go about in his kingdom? Chapter 2, for I would that ye knew what great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love, and into all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. 
For though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware. And I don't know if you see the the parallel here. He's giving his commendation and he says, Beware. Back earlier, he was talking about the, the fullness we can have in Christ. If. So beware. Verse 8. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And ye are complete in him which is the head of all, which is the head of all principality and power, in whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. So this morning, as we partake of the emblems, remember what Christ has done for us and walk that way.